the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Numbers. God had been preparing the children of Israel to enter the land promised to their forefathers. They had wandered in the desert for 38 years. Now that a whole rebellious generation of Israelites had died, God was drawing them closer to himself in order that they would be blessed beyond what they could imagine. God had told Moses that Joshua would be taking his place to lead the nation. God had laid out more sacrifices for the children of Israel, that they would worship him on his terms. The Israelites were not to make their own rules and laws about how to worship God. God had implemented certain sacrifices to be offered on special feast days. Now we are looking at God commanding the Israelites to keep their vows and to not go back on their promises. We continue with this as we join Pastor Will in Numbers chapter 30, verse 1. Now, that's the idea that God's trying to communicate in Numbers 30. God gave these laws to govern an imperfect society to show that if you make a promise, you must keep it. Now, we still live in an imperfect society, right? So unfortunately, not every person we do business with has integrity, nor does every person who says they're a believer act like one. So while my life shouldn't make someone else think they should need a contract to hold me to my word, neither James or Jesus say we shouldn't do that with others. You know, somebody comes up and says, hey, you know, I'll do this, you know, for such and such amount of money, and this is exactly what I'll do. And I say, oh man, you know, I don't need a binding contract for that. I think that's unwise. And in fact, I think Proverbs talks about in many places that that's an unwise thing to do. It's a bit foolish to not get an unbinding agreement on important financial or business matters. And when we think about it, some commitments we make in this life are so serious that they require vows before God and men. You know, when God established marriage in the garden, Adam made a verbal commitment to Eve and she agreed and accepted that commitment. And on that basis, the commentator of the book of Genesis says, God made them one flesh. Jesus, in his teaching on marriage, reiterates the importance of those vows. Clearly, Jesus wasn't saying you can't ever enter into a binding contract because that will be sinful. That's not what he's saying. What he's communicating is the same thing that Numbers 30 is trying to teach the people. You need to keep your promises if you make them. You need to keep your promises. And can I tell you something? Especially if you're a parent, don't make a promise to your kids and break it. That's one of the worst things you can do. Don't make them. But if you make one, you need to keep it. You need to keep it. If you make a promise to a person, it's one of the easiest ways to tarnish your witness is not to keep it. So if you're going to sign a contract or if you're going to enter into a binding agreement or make a promise, you need to keep it. All throughout the scriptures talks about binding commitments. So they're not negative in and of themselves. The point is we should be people of integrity. Paul talks about the binding relationship between a husband and wife all throughout 1 Corinthians 7 and never speaks of that in a negative way. So binding agreements are still necessary. In fact, I would dare say, especially in marriage, that if no vows or commitment 
for life have taken place, then it doesn't matter what a piece of paper or government office says, that couple's not married. If you haven't made a vow to commit yourselves for life, you're not married. It's common today in, in weddings to say that you will stay with each other for as both as you long, uh, you shall love. I'm here to tell you right now, they're not married. That, that's not marriage. That's something else. I don't know what it is, but it's not marriage. On the basis of a commitment for life is how in the scriptures, God says he makes two people one. I mean, that's the consistent teaching of scripture. So there are things that we enter into that are very serious that we need to do that. You might be thinking, did we really need a whole chapter to deal with vows, Pastor Will? I mean, chapter 30 here, we just do those two verses, and that seems to cover everything. Well, under normal circumstances, that is all that we would need to say. But given the culture back then and how God had elevated women in Israeli society, some other situations needed to be addressed. Aside from ancient Egypt, most women back then did not have property rights. They couldn't sue in court, and they couldn't hold an occupation. In fact, the Greeks actually had a law, ancient Greece. People like to glorify ancient Greece. The Greeks actually had a law that no woman's name could ever be spoken in public. You've come a long way, ladies. Now, in Israel, however, it was vastly different. A woman had inheritance rights. She could own property. She could bring legal action against her husband. She could bring every offering to the Lord that a man could. She had equal access to the Lord that a man had. So in light of that, How did promises to God or business deals with other people work in a marriage relationship or in a family relationship? Because God has called a husband to lead his family, special rules applied. And so we get to verse 3, and all the way through the end of the chapter, we deal with those special situations. So verse 3, we deal with a young lady who's still living at home. If a woman also vow a vow unto the Lord and bind herself by a bond. In other words, she's placed herself in debt to the Lord with either her time, she's going to serve for a period of time, or the resources, she's going to give something to the Lord or offer a sacrifice to the Lord. If she were to do that, being in her father's house in her youth, so this is an unmarried gal who's not a grown woman yet, she's either you know, young, very young or a teenager or something of that sort. And verse four, if her father hear her vow and her bond wherewith she has bound her soul, and her father shall hold his peace. If he doesn't take any action, he says, oh, I'm cool with that. Well, then all her vows shall stand, and every bond wherewith she has bound her soul shall stand. She has to keep her word. But if her father disallow, overrules her, in the day that he hears about it, then not any of her vows or of her bonds wherewith she has bound her soul shall stand, and the Lord shall forgive her. Literally, he will release her from that vow. It doesn't, it doesn't stand, because her father disallowed her. Now, you might be saying, why would a father do that? I mean, she wants to serve the Lord or she wants to make an offering to God. Why would he say no? Well, the vow might be beyond his means to fulfill. You know, what if, what if you lived up in Dan, all the way up in the north, and your daughter's like, I'm going to serve God for three months. And you're like, sweetie, that's great, but could we change it to three days? You know, we can't just leave our crops and everything for three months. You know, there's more people involved here than just you. And so if he heard that, I wrote down here, it's sweet that a young lady wants to commit 75 bullocks to single her absolute surrender to the Lord, but that would put the family in a debt they could never repay. Or the vow might be foolish. Maybe she would make a promise to God that she'd want to serve him her entire life, never getting married. But maybe she was eight years old. And maybe her father in his wisdom and experience would know what her spiritual condition was better than her at that age. And he would say, sweetie, I don't think this is the right time to be making that type of commitment yet. How about you wait till you get older and you know, figure out what the Lord might be leading you to do then? And so he could disallow either of those vows 
and then she would not be, God wouldn't hold her to it. it was, she would be pardoned and released from the vow, and it would be like she never made it. Now, next in verse 6, we addressed a married woman. Verse 6. And if she had at all a husband when she vowed, or uttered aught out of her lips, wherewith she bound her soul, and her husband heard it, and held his peace at her in the day that he heard it, well, then her vow shall stand, and her bonds wherewith she bound her soul shall stand as well. But... If her husband disallowed her on the day that he heard it, then he shall make her vow which she has vowed, and that which she uttered with her lips, wherewith she bound her soul of none effect, and the Lord shall forgive her. Verse 6, and if she had it all a husband when she vowed a vow, same thing as the young lady, made a promise to God, then it says, or uttered aught out of her lips. That's a bad translation. The phrase uttered aught is a phrase that means, or if she makes a rash promise to another person, or speaks out of her sphere to fulfill it. So now, not only is it promises made to God, but it's promises made to other people that are in mind. See, unlike the young lady, this ruling includes business or personal deals with others. The reason is because young people still living with their family couldn't make business or personal deals. Most can't in our culture either. Like my son cannot sign, you know, for a mortgage. He can't say, dad, we bought, I bought a new house today and you're on it. That can't happen. You know, he's not legally allowed to do that. So this is not a strange thing that a young lady couldn't do that. However, a married woman had full rights to do that. She could sign a contract for any of those things. She could enter into business deals or personal deals with anybody. This is added to her here. But the same principle applies. If she comes home and says, honey, guess what? I, you know, I, saw, I saw this field over here and Donald's selling the field and I was a great deal and I decided to get into that. And he's going, honey, but remember we were planning that vacation? Oh, I forgot. Oh no, what are we going to do? Well, I can overrule it because there's protection there in, in our togetherness. And so he could go and say, listen, I heard about this. I'm nullifying it. The word there to make it of none effect means to break or nullify a contract. And so if that happens, then... She's not held responsible. She doesn't have to keep it. But if he hears about it and he goes, oh, sounds like a good deal. Well, then you're, you're in it for the long haul, buddy. You need, to, you need to honor that commitment no matter how much it costs you. What I think is interesting here is that the Lord specifically mentions if she makes a rash or foolish deal. I think the Lord does that for a reason. A husband was not to neuter his wife's ability to function in society. That's not what this is for. This rule should only come into play with an obviously bad deal. And men, those of you who are married today or thinking about getting married someday, you should never be overbearing in your leadership of your family. Can I tell you something? You need your wife's input. That's why God brought her into your life. You are only half the equation. You need your wife's input. And can I be frank? You got married. You didn't hire a sex slave and a babysitter, okay? You got married. You are there to work these things out together. All major decisions should be made with input from husband and wife. And if you are denying her that input, or if you're not taking her input equally to the Lord as your own thoughts, you go against all scripture in doing so, and God is not pleased, and may I dare say he will not hear your prayers. Because the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, if you will not dwell with your wife with understanding, your prayers are cut off. You say that's heavy? Yes, that's what you get for being the leader. You have the heavy part. It lies on you to make sure you're doing that. That's your responsibility. 
Now, in the case where his wife's commitment put the family at risk, he could nullify that deal. And that is because the Lord holds not the wife, but the leader responsible for the financial, legal, and personal deals that affect the family. And that still applies today. That still applies today. These here, we look at these vows and stuff, and these laws for vows, those were meant to govern the civil society of Israel. These are not moral laws that apply for all time, so you can't do that with your wife today. Trust me, the U.S. government will not buy it, okay? You, you sign a deal, and if you, you, you didn't know about it, and your wife did it, and you're married, you're equally responsible. That's just how it goes. So you can't cite this law or this principle of numbers because it doesn't apply to us as the church, as Christians. We don't have our own country. We don't, we don't have our own uh, civil laws that govern our society. From a scriptural standpoint, this was for Israel. However, however, you do have the responsibility to lead your family. And that means you cannot, and you must not abdicate a knowledge of your family's finances, your family's legal deals, or the personal commitments that your family makes. You cannot abdicate knowledge of that to your wife. If she's better keeping the books, fine, that's great. You know, not everybody's the same. Some people are good with money. Some people should never have it. Some people are better keeping track of it, and some people are not. And that doesn't, that's not a male-female thing. I have found couples where the guy's really good at keeping the money, and I've found couples where the, he can't do anything of the sort, and so the, the gal needs to do it. It doesn't matter who keeps the books. If your wife's the one that keeps the books, fine. But listen, you must still know what's going on with your family's money, and you must be leading your wife in seeking God's direction about what decisions you will make together with that money and with all the other important decisions you have to make as a family. Because in the end, when you stand before the Lord, we see the parable of the talents where he said, you know, what did you do with the talents I gave to you? He's not going to look at her. If you look at, you look at the Lord, he said, what did you do with all the finances I gave you? You're not going to, she kept the books. The Lord's not going to buy that. Do you need to be involved in that process? He's going to hold you responsible, not her. It's your job to protect your family. It's not your job to cede that responsibility. So you must be engaged, okay? Ladies, you didn't get off the hook. Can I say something? You don't have the right to exclude your husband from family decisions because you don't think he's competent or you don't think he's knowledgeable about the situation. You may have more interior decor understanding. However, you should involve him in the process of the $1,300 couches you want to buy. Okay? You need to involve him in that process and vice versa. Guys, if you like internal decor, interior decor, then you need to involve her in that process too. But you get my point. I recognize that some of us are a little slow. However, you need us just like we need you. You need our input just like we need yours. We are in this together. Anytime you leave your spouse out, your husband out, you are leaving the protective umbrella of God's word to trust in your own understanding. And can I say that unless you think you're smarter than God, which means you have other problems, you need to involve your husband in those things. Because he tells you to. What about a single woman who's not living with her family? She's not married. She's not living with her family. Well, verse 9. But every vow of a widow and of her that is divorced, wherewith they have bound their souls, it shall stand against her. She's got to to keep it. Now, you might be saying, wait a second, Pastor. What about an adult single woman who's never been married or she's not widowed, not divorced? She's just living on her own. Well, there was no such thing in that day. It's just how it was, ladies. It wasn't considered safe. A woman would never do that. She would never live on her own. She would either live with her family still. She would just never be a single unmarried woman who had never been married would never live on her own back then. You would never find it. It was 
considered entirely unsafe, it would just never happen. So that's why it's not addressed. I realize we have situations like that today, and yet I think the same principle stands is that you need to be a person of integrity because God's going to hold you responsible. And I think that's how it would have been back then. Now, a widow usually remained in her husband's property with her children and other extended family. A divorced woman almost always moved back in with her family. But either way, she was responsible to keep all of her promises, foolish or not, just like any other person. She no longer had the protection of her husband's thoughts in that area, which is a huge blessing of marriage. You know, it's funny because you know, the Bible talks about how in 1 Peter 3, the same passage, it says that we're heirs together of the grace of life. That's a really King James way of just simply saying this. You help each other on your way to heaven. That's what that means. You help each other on your way to heaven. So God brought you two together because you're going to accomplish more for him, get closer to him through being together than you would be if you were apart. But for whatever reason, we see the flaws in that other person and we think, well, they're holding us back. It is a tremendous protection and privilege to have different perspective. I am convinced, as much as I love my children, if I was raising them by myself, they would not love me as much as they do now. I am so grateful for the input that my wife gives to me. And I believe she's grateful for the input I give to her. It's important for us to understand that as we are in our marriage relationship. What about promises that were made when she was married? Well, the normal rules apply, verse 10. And if she vowed in her husband's house or bound her soul by a bond with an oath... And her husband heard of it and held her peace at her and disallowed her not, then all her vows shall stand and every bond wherewith she bound her soul shall stand. But if her husband had utterly made them void on the day he heard them and whatsoever proceeded out of her lips concerning her vows or concerning the bond of her soul shall not stand. Her husband has made them void. He nullified them and the Lord shall forgive her or literally release her from her commitment. So in other words, if she made a promise and her husband heard about it, And he said, no, I think that's great. Let's do it. And then he dies. Even if it's a a burden for her to keep it, she has to keep it. She has to keep that vow. On the other hand, if she made a promise, and with his dying words, he's like, no, I disallow it. When he hears about it, well, then, then she's off the hook. I'm exaggerating, but the idea is the same rules apply. Why would that be important? Well, she couldn't get out of any commitments her and her husband made just because her husband died. If he allowed that commitment while he lived, then she must keep it after he's gone. And what's the point? A promise is a promise to God, and he expects us to keep them. He sums that up in verses 13 through 16. Every vow, so that's to the Lord, and every binding oath, that's to another person, to afflict the soul. The word afflict the soul, I know it sounds so horrible, to afflict your soul. I just made a promise to meet you on Friday night. No, the affliction, it doesn't mean affliction. The word means to put in a confining situation. In other words, you don't have wiggle room with it. You made a commitment, you now you got to steer that course. That's what it means there. So every promise to God and every promise made to someone else that puts you on a road, it says her husband may establish it or her husband may make it void. But if her husband altogether hold his peace at her from, the day, from day to day, well, then he establishes all of her vows or all of her bonds, which are upon her. He confirms them because he held his peace at her in the day that he heard it. But if he shall anyways make them void, after that he heard them, then he shall bear her iniquity. In other words, it's interesting. If he hears about it and she was entering into a good deal that was good for the family and he's just being a jerk, The Lord's going to hold him responsible for pulling rank. 
I hear men at times say, well, I'm the leader of this household. You've probably already crossed a line if you're uttering those words because you're pulling rank in a way you should never have to. You're pulling rank because your conduct is not causing her to want to follow you. And that's not good. We should conduct our lives in such a way as leaders in our families, men, that we are being sensitive to our wives. We are having good conversations and discussions together as we're trying to come to a decision together in such a way that even if they disagree with us, eventually they want to, they say, well, let's try it your way because they trust us and they know we have their best intent at mind. I could tell you guys, if you're struggling in your marriage with these things right now, most of the folks that land in my office because they have these problems, most of the time, the woman's not asking much. She wants to be a priority to you. She wants you to put your family as a priority. She wants you to make the decisions that daily go on in your life, your family's life important to you as just as they're important to her. And if you'll do that, I promise you, with the exception of the most hard woman, you're going to win her heart because that's why she married you in the first place because that's the type of guy she thought you were. Promises are serious. These are the statues which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife or between a father and his daughter who's still living in her youth in her father's house. The Lord has much to say about vows in his word. In Ecclesiastes chapter five, you don't need to turn there, but I just want to read to you a couple serious things the Lord says. He says, when you vow a vow unto the Lord, do not def- defer not to pay it. In other words, don't try to back out of it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay that which you have vowed. And here's the principle Jesus taught. Better it is that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Don't permit your mouth to cause your flesh to sin. And neither say before the the angel, King James says, but before a messenger says, hey, you made a promise. Don't say to the messenger, well, I made a mistake. For why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be found fighting against God because I've read the story of Jacob, I know how that ends. I want to be submitted to the Lord. So if you make a promise, keep it. But be a person of your word. And so I ask you tonight as we close, you know, are you keeping your commitments to God? And are you keeping your commitments to others? Are you a person of integrity that people can trust you and rely upon your word? You know, God gave these laws, these rules to Israel because he wants to bless them. And violating their promises, violating their word, would keep God from doing so. You know, in the last days, Paul said that a characteristic of the perilous times is that people would be, King James says, truce breakers in 2 Timothy 3.3, truce breakers. But the word means someone who breaks their promises. Romans 1.31 lists a characteristic of the depravity of man as covenant breakers. God wants to bless you and me too. Don't get in the way of that. Don't hinder that by breaking your commitments. Keep your vows, whether the other person is keeping them or not. Be a person of integrity. I'll leave you with this. If you find difficulty doing it for them because they're not doing their part, then remember that you made the promise before God. Do it because he's keeping his part. Amen? Let's pray. We thank you that you never break your word. You always keep your promises and you're always faithful to us. And Lord, we want to be faithful right back to you. Lord, we want to keep our commitments to you, to others. And be people, Lord, that, that you trust, Lord, people that others can trust. That you can entrust things to us knowing 
that we'll be faithful with them, Lord. You said it's required of a steward to be found faithful. If we're faithful over little things, you make us faithful over more. So you entrust things to us, Lord. We want to be those who live up to that trust. Now, we know we can't do that on our own, but we decide to be that kind of person tonight. And we ask you to fill us with your spirit so we can do so. In Jesus' name, amen. God desires for us to worship him for who he is and all that he has done for us. He wants us to spend time with him, and in doing so, our nature will become more like his. We will be more like God as we draw near to him on his terms. God has always kept his promises. He has never gone back on his word. One of the things that will be a sign that we are being made more like him is when we keep our word given to others. We ought to let our yes be yes and our no, no. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.